Don't forget to listen to The Last Post. post, post oh, yeah. Post. <laughs> Alice, tell, tell our listeners you may not have heard yet. Uh, the Last Post is a daily, daily podcast daily, daily, uh, that daily. is piped into pipe, my pipe, email pipe, every day from an alternate dimension. There is an alternate universe, Alice Fraser, who hosts this satirical news podcast, and she talks about all the news that's happening over there. I think it's uh, groundbreaking. I'm working with some scientists to figure out if we can send some emails back to her. But I enjoy listening to it. I hope you... Tune in, subscribe. Tune in, subscribe, subscribe. I think there's a there's a quite successful Andy Zaltzman on that side of the. Uh, yeah, burning with gelatin. He just yeah. came out of the celebrity jungle. Yeah. Yeah. Subscribe now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other good places. Places, 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 places. 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 New water, new, 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 new. newspaper for a visual world. Hello Buglers and welcome to issue 4137 of the world's foremost covert audio instruction manual for the dismantling, melting down and reconstituting of agricultural machinery. Oh no, I've <laughs> finally blown our cover. Uh, this week, if you play the bugle backwards and or sideways at half and or quadruple speed, you will find coded directions telling you how to turn a combine harvester into a celibate sex robot and a corn silo into a statue of Charles Darwin. Don't tell anyone, though. It's a secret. However, if you play the bugle forwards at normal speed, you'll hear the usual unarguable truth about everything in the world this week. I'm Andy Zaltzman, and I'm here in London, where nothing is quite as it seems. That's something London has in common with everywhere else in the universe. Oh, perception, you absolute... (laughs) Uh, Joining me uh, from the other side of the table, Alice Fraser. Hello, Andy. Hello, buglers. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm okay. Well, I'm pretty, I've spent the last two days watching cricket um, it, by contractual agreement with the BBC. So, yeah, I'm in a state of uh, zen calmness about things. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. I just had lunch with your sister. Oh, right. So Good. I've had exposure to the good Zaltzman today. Well, let's call it one all. <laughs> uh, joining me from the other side of the Atlantic... Actually, that depends on which way you go. Uh, joining me from across Europe, Asia, the Pacific Ocean and mainland USA... Or, if you go another way, across Europe, the Mediterranean, Africa, the Southern Ocean, Antarctica, touch the South Pole, then run back north, uh, scoop across the Southern Ocean, again on a shoal of penguins, hitchhike up through (laughs) South America, pogo stick the length of Central America, then roller ski through the the states of uh, the eastern seaboard of the USA, all the way up to New York City. We got there in the end. Uh, It's (laughs) Hari Kondabolu. Hey, Andy, you forgot all the way up to the moon and then back oh, to New York. Sorry, my, my mistake. That was, that was I've tried to, I tried to cheat it. And I, I mean, it yeah. And, but yeah. then those long haul flights, they always seem like they're going to be better because they're cheaper, but then they end up taking way too long. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta watch out for those extra legs. Yeah, I think that's what Neil Armstrong said when he landed. <laughs> Bloody long haul flights. <laughs> I was just trying to get to New Jersey. What the hell is this? I wonder if you get jet lag going to the moon. Oh, I don't know. Ooh. The big questions. Yeah, the questions science is afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Uh, how are you, Hari? You ask me this question every time I'm yep. on, and every time I'm on, I don't know how to answer it. Right, right. I mean, that's I'm you're... still around. That's good. Uh, I mean, that's because I'm British, and that's how we begin conversations, <laughs> and you're American. I so. mean, <laughs> you'd think he keeps asking you. You'd probably get better at answering the question. Yeah. Do you know, I up. wish... Like often when I'm in the UK, people ask me, "Are you all right?" And I, I'd never heard that outside of the context of something seems wrong, <laughs> and that, and that's a thing you normally say. And I think that's really the most appropriate way 
to ask me how I'm doing is, are you all right? Because I can give you an honest answer. Right. <laughs> I, that is true. It does disconcert you when you move to the UK and people go, you're right. And you think, oh, God, what have I done? Or do I not look it, all right? It's something, it's very upsetting. So stop doing it, people in the UK. I well, feel like it's very reflective of the culture, though, that the question is something something wrong must have happened. <laughs> you must be in some kind of pain. Tell me about it. Well, I mean, that dates back to when the Romans invaded, to be honest. We've never fully got over it. <laughs> this week we are recording on Friday the 17th of January. This week, the anniversary section and the section in the bin are one and the same thing because in the bin is going our prize 17th of January quiz. Uh, various questions about the 17th of January. If you get them all right, you can go and buy yourself a prize with your own money. Uh, question one. What was banned 100 years ago today, on the 17th of January, 1920? Was it A, belching in the Vatican City after Pope Benedict XV outlawed oral flatulence after calculating that Judas Iscariot probably let out a real window-rattling burp at the Last Supper after (laughs) Jesus gave him that uh, bit of bread? Probably, said uh, Benedict XV, an effort to diffuse the tension with some humour. On the 17th of January, 1920, was stribble-cragging banned? What is Stribble Cracking, you may ask? Exactly. It was a very effective ban. Or was it C, <laughs> alcohol in the United States? Or was it D, women in the United States? After the American Society for the Propagation of Joylessness, uh, having successfully seen the Prohibition ban and make its way into law, lobbied Congress to ban all women as well. So A, B, C or D? Write your answers on a rock. Uh, question two. <laughs> on the 17th of January 1912... British polar explorer Captain Robert Scott reached the South Pole one month after the Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen. But recently unearthed evidence suggests that Amundsen should have been disqualified from the race. Why? Was it A, an illegal sled? (laughs) The runners were eight inches longer than allowed by the International Polar Racing Association regulations at the time, and the uh, illegal design of the tail fin on Amundsen's sled made it unfairly difficult for Scott to slipstream him due to the airflow. Uh, Was it B, dog steroids? Seriously, (laughs) those huskies were unnaturally ripped. It's okay for Father Christmas and his reindeer. They've got a job to do, but not in a competition. Uh, was Should he have been um, disqualified for C, unnecessary roughness, or D, a false start? Uh, new evidence suggests that Amundsen reacted to the starter pistol in less than the allowable 0.1 seconds <laughs> allowed uh, in athletics competitions. Obviously, I mean, it didn't make a lot of difference given his eventual victory margin of a month, but rules are rules. Surely. I mean, my favourite bit about that was the hulked out Huskies. Yeah. Well, Very husky huskies. Uh, or was it E, all of the above? Uh, question three. On this day in 1961, 17th of January 1961, uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower made a farewell speech to the nation as he departed the White House. But which of the following things did he say in that speech? Was it A, let me hear you all say, Aik! <laughs> <laughs> was it B, I'm out of here and I'm going to get absolutely f- Hammered. <laughs> Bottle of cheap bourbon and a 12 pack of bud. Was it C, we are family, I got all my sisters with me? Was it D, Eisenhower, I was in for eight whole bloody years, mate, is this on? Or was it E, as we peer into society's future, we, you and I, and our government must avoid the impulse to live only for today, plundering for our own ease and convenience the precious resources of tomorrow. We cannot mortgage the material assets of our grandchildren without risking the loss also of their political and spiritual heritage. We want democracy to survive for ge- all generations to come, not to become the insolvent phantom of tomorrow. 
I want it to be A so badly. No, sadly, I'm doing, <laughs> no, it's definitely not A. Are you really at the cricket? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't at the cricket. I was watching it in a windowless room at the BBC. <laughs> um, uh, well, in the answer, I'm going to give away the answer to that. You're free on that was. Um, oh no, sorry, I haven't done the F yet. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> Did he say that, or was it F? Did Eisenhower, in his farewell speech, say, ooh, if I had to choose one, Jane Mansfield, all day long. <laughs> Good <laughs> God, yeah. A, B, C, D, E, or F. Um, and finally, um, incidentally, do you know that Ike was short for icicle? <laughs> was it microphone? I forget. Um, I did not know that. <laughs> Question four. On this day, the 17th of January, 1751, what did Italian composer Tommaso Albinoni ironically start doing? A. Pilates. B. Writing the world's first hardcore pornographic opera. Uh, C. Invent the mic drop. Or D. He started decomposing because he died. Um, So there you go. There's your prize quiz. Right. uh, Pens down. I will now tell you the answers. Um, Question one. Uh, it was uh, alcohol in the United States. Prohibition began as the Volstead Act went into effect. So, I mean, Harry, do you think it's time for America to consider bringing this back just for, you know, old time's sake? <laughs> I mean, we already kind of have that with weed, though, Andy. <laughs> That's going very well. <laughs> it's been great. Uh, you know, just a little bit of drug, drug trafficking and a lot of people in prison. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, they also the perspective prohibition, I don't know when that began, sometime around about... The morning that George W. Bush won that election. Um, question uh, two, all of the above. Amundsen was a massive cheat. Uh, question three, the Eisenhower one. It was E. It was that long and harrowingly prophetic statement. <laughs> we basically just called everything that we f***ed up in the ensuing six decades. Well done, uh, Ike, wherever you are now. Uh, and D, it was, uh, well, question four, it was D. Albinoni did die on this day in 1751. So... Uh, I hope you've all got all those questions entirely correct. Great quiz. Shame it's in the bin. So that's the UK citizenship test? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not far off. Uh, you can bug down at ours when you arrive. Uh, that section, in the bin. <laughs> Top story this week. It's a Bugle Relationship Special Edition. Uh, this uh, edition of the Bugle is given entirely over to relationships. I mean, the relations, we're all in them, uh, whether with other people ourselves, our planet, reality, time physics, or or mighty Zeus himself, or are they themselves now, I forget. But relationships are not easy. Uh, Just ask a large proportion of all the people who've ever lived. (laughs) And a number of prominent relationships are going through difficult phases at the moment. Uh, In particular, uh, Prince Harry and co-Prince Meghan's relationship with the rest of the royal family, Britain's relationship with Britain, uh, sorry, one of those Britain should have been England, I think, not sure which one. Uh, The human race's (laughs) relationship with Mother Earth as well, pick the fossilised bones out of that one, Freud. And on a personal level, my own relationship with Elizabeth Bathory. I am a happily married man with two children living in 21st century London. She was a Hungarian noblewoman and one of history's most prolific serial killers who died in 1614 and wasn't into cricket. It was really never going to work out uh, between us. So lots of <laughs> tricky relationships. So, Alison and Horror, what would you say is the most, you know, the, the relationship troubles that we should be most worried about right now? We, we're looking at Harry and Meghan, we're looking at the human race 
and the environment and the entire future of our species as a viable entity. Obviously, Harry and Meghan, this whole situation with Harry and Meghan deciding not to be as royal as people want them to be, is uh, it's putting the oi into royalty, the ow into crown, and the er into hereditary royalty. Um, <laughs> Everyone seems to have an opinion on this, uh, Annie and Hari, and I absolutely do not give a f- Oh, no, you can't say <laughs> that. How can we deal with everything else if we don't deal with this first? I mean, what by not dealing with this at all. Yeah, I mean, it's none of our business. But I, I mean, mean absolutely... <laughs> I mean, uh, you're right, Andy. How would the world work if we ignored things that weren't our business and focused on things that might be? Well, I mean, that would be an end to all, well, politics and religion and pretty much everything else, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yes, as well as over-the-fence gossiping, which I, for one, am not willing to give up. Well, it's, it's better than under-the-fence gossiping. <laughs> I, I regularly, just as a way of being retro, will put a, a scarf around my head and gossip over a fence to a neighbour who may or may not be there. <laughs> Harry, what, what do you think? I mean, obviously, the uh, you know, the... the the British royal family still essentially rules the United States by proxy, if not in reality. Um, so I mean, you, you must be very concerned about about what's been going on. Well, I definitely I'm going to disagree with Alice, and I do think this is the most important Good. story we should be following because mm-hmm. it's the only one that uh, we don't know how it'll end. <laughs> <laughs> it's unclear. I mean, the the Earth one, we know we're yeah. done for. You know. <laughs> So this actually has some intrigue in it. I love right. this story. Yeah, I, I love that they're leaving for Canada. Yes, and putting a dent in the royal family. I love it. Just blow the whole thing up. <laughs> I love it. My only wish in this story is that Meghan Markle was Indian. It would be <laughs> perfect colonial justice. If if only she was Meghna Mukherjee, would this be so complete? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if she'd been Indian, then given that, yeah, if you, an Indian plus the royal family, I don't think their wedding would have ended yet, would it? (laughs) (laughs) That is correct. (laughs) Uh, In in case you missed the story, Buglers, uh, uh, Prince Harry and and, and Meghan are stepping down from frontline royaling. They've left the British nation agog with concern that over the next few years, some supermarkets are simply going to have to open themselves. And uh, Britain is just going to have to uh, pick at random in a special nationwide raffle an ordinary... Uh, couple uh, about whom you know, if they get pregnant uh, about to have a baby to festoon with 24 hour a day media coverage during the final days of pregnancy with wild speculation over the sex and name of their in- impending uh, offspring as well as perhaps its favourite colour assumed superpower and uh, and its religion so uh, it's I mean it's hard to know why Harry and Meghan are wanting to step back from uh, professional uh, princing I think it's vanity. I think I agree with a lot of the tabloid press that it's vanity on Meghan's part. Right. She just doesn't like how she looks on a plate. Okay, well, I mean, that is <laughs> that is something that many people marrying into the royal family have not considered. <laughs> d- 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 you know, how do I look as crockery? I mean, it partly could, I guess, Harry, be something maybe to do with the remorseless media scrutineering, unthinking and unblinking invasiveness and twattish hypocritical judgmentalism. Um, or it could be the you, British you, weather. You also left out racism. Sorry, well, yes, that too. Um, and it might be the weather. The, the British weather is very difficult for people who have not grown up with it to adjust to. So we, we just don't know which of those two it is. Part of it, I think, is also, you know, she wants to pursue her acting career. She wants to actually be an independent person. <laughs> and I feel like there's nothing wrong with that. Leaving the royal family to pursue an acting career, I mean... It's not even to pursue an acting career, it's to pursue a better acting career, because the royal family, being a member of the royal family, is part of an acting career. They they have no power. 
They just need to do it because they're part of the mystique of England. They, they, they are. Uh, they are the ones acting. They're pretending like the fairy tale. Uh, they're pretending like the fairy tale shit is real. They're like, they're like Mickey and Minnie at Disneyland. The kids want to see the people in costume. <laughs> well, look, I, I think it is, you know, it is absolutely an acting career and I can understand why Meghan Markle isn't interested in it, having done uh, acting that involves more than one expression, which is to say an expression <laughs> that involves looking mildly interested and incredibly bored at the same time, which we all can see that Queen Elizabeth has, you know, obviously perfected. Well, I mean, that comes down from Queen Victoria. She, I mean, she absolutely <laughs> nailed that. Yes, middle distance staring. But at least with Queen Victoria, you kind of imagine she was usually thinking about banging. Well, (laughs) do you think that, Alice? I mean, she clearly wasn't averse to it. I think that's the reason why Victorians have a reputation for prudery. It's just because the Queen was so, like, on the horn at all times that everyone else had to be a little bit uptight. Okay. I mean, do you you have documentary evidence for this? I mean, she wrote some quite racy letters to Albert, I think. Yeah, racy letters to Albert. The fact that the normal people thought that, I mean, normal rich people thought that they had to put skirts on table legs because they were too sexy. I think that's a myth, but it's a hot myth. Right. Yeah, some hot table legs, to be honest. I would argue that putting uh, cloth over the table legs makes them more sexy. Because what's <laughs> underneath that cloth? Table legs. Well, that's why but we... you don't know it immediately. <laughs> well, that's, why uh-huh. we have, that's why we have table cloths as well. It's um, and that's showing the full kit and caboodle, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, it's possible they're just moving away to get away you know, from existing within easy robbing distance of Dominic Rob. <laughs> Um, the latest uh, the latest scientific um, analysis suggests that Harry will drop down from his current status of 99.94% royal to around 60.73% royal. That's according to uh, official royal royalition Sir Herbert Sutcliffe. Uh, for Harry, uh, at sixth in line to the throne, I mean, this is this is the thing for, for him, isn't it? He, he's sixth in line to the throne, and this is the year 2020. And things are going to have to get fantastically medieval for him to have even an outside shot at the hot seat. Or, in fact, well, the, I don't know if we can call it the hot seat. The constitutional neither hot nor cold seat. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need a King Ralph situation. Right. Can you uh, just... if you all, of course, you all remember the classic film King Ralph. I, I, I don't remember that. No. no. Oh, what happens is uh, John Goodman is uh, works in Vegas. I think he's a lounge no singer more. or something. <laughs> And the royal family is taking a photo, every member of the royal family, and there's some kind of explosion from the camera that kills all of them, meaning uh, this man who was somehow linked to the royal family because generations ago someone had an affair with somebody else creating this, this offspring, now this Vegas lounge singer has to be the king of England. Oh, wow. Well, that is a film I have to watch. It was a massive flop. Was it? <laughs> like all the best films. <laughs> you know, all this stuff makes me like Harry more, to be honest. Because yep. I disliked him after the photos uh, of uh, him dressing as a Nazi. Yeah, I can see your angle on that. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like he's more than made up for it by marrying uh, a black American woman and choosing her over the royal family. You know, he he has to, he's... He has to work for money now. Yes. That's fundamentally against what the royal family is about. (laughs) Well, he has to take a more active role in the brand management of his brand as rather for money. Yes. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I don't know what what other transferable. I mean, he, in many ways, he's wasn't he, he in the had, army at one point? Yeah, he was. He's, he's you know, he's a very impressive young man. In the I mean, I, I, I think I've laid my not giving a shit about the royal family cast firmly <laughs> on the table over the years on the bugle. But he seems he seems to have uh, you know done you know led led a pretty admirable existence uh, in the context of being part of uh, one of the world's most elaborate fictions. So. I'll say, <laughs> And and but it was interesting the way the the media obsession with it and eventually uh, you know the queen used her magic queenic powers to bequeen the young couple uh, with her queen queenaginous wisdom and that seems to be something of a of a rapprochement as they they took a bit of a, a behind the scenes lizzing and um, <laughs> but we still don't know exactly what function uh, Harry's uh, going to have in 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 future. I mean, I, I'm sort of wondering about the logistics of this. He's stepping back as a senior royal. Does this mean that someone else gets bumped up? Is it one in, one out, Thunderdome rules? Or are there just now fewer senior royals? Oh, I don't know. And, I mean, this is, I mean, there's been long, you know, talk of modernisation. We said we have this, you know, the, the, the royal seeding. It's like Wimbledon, isn't it? So maybe yeah. you take the top 128 ranked people in line to the throne and have a straight <laughs> knock. I mean, obviously, that, that's not how they do it at Wimbledon because there's wild cards and things. So maybe you, know, you could have certain, you know, the top top 100, then a load of you know, qualifiers through some kind of dueling competition and then maybe eight wild cards for the organisers just pick, you know, celebrities who are going to bump up the ticket sales. Yeah, absolutely. I'm for that. Is Fergie going to come back into rotation is what I want to know. Oh, I don't know. I mean, that that's another possibility. It could be like the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square that they have sort of rotating <laughs> sculptures on that you know, just have a different sixth in line to the throne every every six months or so. Harry, would you be interested in joining the British royal family? Huh. I, I'm a comedian, so you know I don't like working, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like if I was asked to, to to join the British royal family, initially it would be like, oh, this seems like a cool gig. But then I, I'm pretty sure it would be a trick because they'd probably have a little uniform for me and then... A tray to carry drinks on. I don't know. (laughs) I don't think it'll end well. Clearly, that uh, that relationship within the royal family has been uh, it's been awkward. A lot of uh, wild speculation from uh, our, um, I I believe, constitutionally known as the infantile uh, press. But arguably in an even more polar state is the human race's relationship with uh, our current host planet. Um, I mean, the current host planet, I say. I mean, it, nothing lasts forever. Uh, but our relationship with Earth has become increasingly frosty. Ironically, the less frosty Earth has actually actually become. Um, so it, there's been some slightly dire... I mean, Alice, clearly, Australia just seems to be uh, living out a um, frankly horrific look into the the burning future of this planet. Yes, it is. It is the consequence of what is literally years of ignored warnings that have piled up and then suddenly all come to fruition in a completely unpredictable way that everyone could see coming if they took two seconds to have a look at it. But uh, certainly, it seems to have at least had the positive side effect of this horrific tragedy, being that people have a a little bit of a look at the potential that maybe everyone else who was warning them about potentially horrifying outcomes might have been right. And uh, I think the should we go into this story now? Or well, I've just got a uh, I can do a little bit more on. Um, but I guess the thing is, we spend a lot of time as, as humans sort of obsessing about what the future will be like, and generally we picture. 
you know, robots, space travel, teleportation, jetpacks, still, still with the jetpacks, someday, uh, moon cricket, that kind of thing. Uh, we don't, we don't tend to picture the more apocalyptic side of, you know, a, an 11 million hectare fire, this, uh, an area the size of Portugal. Yeah. I feel like the burnt koala bear pictures I've seen kind of should do the trick, but it won't. Like, the, a burnt koala bear is, like, the symbol of the movement to save the planet. If watching cuddly things burn to death doesn't move you, then we have nothing. Well, I mean, the the, the sad-looking penguin hasn't done it, so... I mean, nor I guess... has, yeah, or nor has the uh, turtle with a straw up its nose. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. Sorry. <laughs> um... I just imagined it doing cocaine. So I, sorry. <laughs> um, the climate crisis. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's had a terrific week actually. Uh, top five clean sweep of the top five places in the World Economic Forum's Global Risks Report. The top, the biggest five risks affecting the planet over the next ten years, according to this report. For the first time, it's been it's been a, a clean sweep. Uh, well, that's seriously impressive, isn't it? I, for one, am so, you know, I'm so pleased for climate change to finally sweep this. I know it's been going for it for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the I, thing is with the wards, you want to know, you know, how much of the, you know, the Green Lobby got involved. It's like, it's like the Oscars, isn't it? You know, yeah. I mean, is it the big stu- Is it re- Are they really the best films? I mean, are these really the biggest threat? Or is it just that, you know, the Green Party obviously run Australia and everywhere <laughs> else in the world have gone behind the scenes and bumped them up? Look, I'm thrilled at last that our world's most prominent economists have managed finally to quantify the financial risk of our planet spectacularly <laughs> shitting itself up the wall like a dog with diarrhea being used in a Banksy. It is. So I, th- I thought you were going to. I hadn't realised you'd finished it. I thought you were about to say Bank Siege. <laughs> That's, you know. That's also good. Yeah. Uh, Banksy running a Bank Siege would be a thing I'd pay to see. <laughs> It is one thing for people to worry about the future of their children, but that's sort of wishy-washy and really how do you know that your children won't turn out to be cockheads who deserve a Dust Bowl wasteland future? (laughs) It is another thing to imply that you might not be able to buy your way out of it because the stock market (laughs) might be subject to an extreme weather event. I mean, this is the the, the top five uh, on the list. Extreme weather events, a failure of climate change mitigation and adaptation by governments and businesses, human-made environmental damage and disasters, major biodiversity loss and ecosystem collapse, and this one I've got a bit of an issue with, major natural disasters such as earthquakes, tsunamis, and volcanic eruptions and geomagnetic storms. What? We can't be blamed for that. We can't be blamed for volcanoes, can we? I think we can. Why? I mean, so everything's so we can just ignore the others then, can we? I mean, no, I think we have to pay attention all right, to all okay. of them. Well, that's a shame. Also, five is just a better number than four. If it was just the top four, it just doesn't have the same, you know? Yeah. you got to put something in for number five. Uh, but anyway, the environment, it turns out, is a way bigger th- bigger threat to this planet's future than, amongst other things, terrorism, alien invasion, shark attacks, feral man-eating goat infestations, the vengeful wrath of a furious god, and or gods, basically the same as the previous one, an asteroid <laughs> strike, also the same, uh... That this I'm most worried about is uh, VAR in football, the video replay in football, uh, in a crucial World Cup match in the next Football World Cup, sparking a global conflict, which I think can easily happen. Or the sudden realisation that life isn't about money and the growing suspicion that all our priorities as a planet and a species are fundamentally wrong. So it's the environment seems to have knocked all those off the podium. When BlackRock is divesting itself of coal futures, that's when you know the winds are changing. And they're changing. They're not only changing, but they're blowing dangerously fast. Yes. Also, if you're in Australia, you know the winds are changing because your house catches fire. 
bushfires apparently were so bad that they had to suspend the start of the Australian Open, which is kind of a positive spin because it's the most attention the Australian Open's ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> like, w- winning five Australian Opens is not, uh, you know, like, oh, wow, you won five Australian Opens? That's like having the biggest mansion in Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, you know, Hari, uh, it wasn't delayed because of climate change. It was delayed because of the absolute awareness that Margaret Court would say something about gay people causing climate change. <laughs> oh, I want, I want Serena Williams to beat that record so bad just so she, like, Margaret Court does not have that record. It's really out of hatred for that woman more than anything. I love Serena, but I hate her more than I love Serena. <laughs> uh, it was only the qualifying that was delayed. Not the actual. They're, they're still hoping to go uh, go ahead with the actual competition. Bear in mind, they do generally make players play in forty eight degree on court temperatures anyway. So, you know, if it's actually on fire, it might you know would it make any difference? No, it might be harder not. for the line judges to get the get the calls right. It was funny how we all used to think that Margaret Court was a beautiful example of nominative determinism because of court and tennis court, but actually it was uh, nominative <laughs> determinism because every time she says something, she makes you want to go gah. <laughs> Margaret Court. Come on. Come on! That was improv. <laughs> no, I love a nominative determinism joke. Well, I mean, meanwhile, as the world literally in some places uh, burns and uh, the prospect of Armageddon grows uh, greater and greater, here in Britain, uh, the government is doing uh, doing our bit by proposing cutting, uh, air, uh, cutting tax on short-haul flights. Which is just what the world uh, the world has been been crying out for, um, and the terrorism police have li- listed extinction rebellion as an extremist ideology, which um, I mean it's pretty far out there, isn't it? Wanting to have a planet to live on in fifty years' time, that is. Oh yeah, I mean you're allowed to care about the environment, just not in a way that it causes disruptive performance art. <laughs> You've got to sit back and wait till the economists decide something's a problem. Because say what you like about economists, they're great at caring about the future of humanity. <laughs> If saving the planet is an extremist ideology, who else made that list? Superman? Yeah. Greta Thunberg? <laughs> uh, in other human relationships uh, news uh, now, dating is going literally space age. A Japanese billionaire has announced that he is seeking a girlfriend for his voyage to the moon. Uh, now... I'm not a dating expert, um, or I mean, I've never been to the moon, and I've never really been on a date either. To be honest, when uh, my uh, wife and I got together, we'd uh, known each other for three and a half years, and we're sharing a house as students. So dating, <laughs> dating wasn't really the right term. But anyway, the, a voyage to the moon is that really the place? Not just for a date, but for a first date. I mean, that's a lot. To, you've set the bar high, haven't you? Yeah, well, Andy, as the song goes, fly me to the moon and let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, I've got too much money. In other words, and no boundaries. And also, spring on Jupiter and Mars is literally fatal, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, there's nothing to give a piquancy to a first date like the knowledge that someone could fall out an airlock. <laughs> I, I, I think mean, it's great. I think aspiring astronauts and trophy wives alike will leap at the opportunity <laughs> for some zero-G daytime. <laughs> I mean, some people will go for this. I know it sounds appalling, but 5%, I think, of women say that they enjoy getting unsolicited dick pics. So you can't 
five percent. Yeah, something like that. How have much was it, Chris? Up? You got data on yeah, this. Yeah, I have. I think it's five percent, but I'm just checking. Twelve percent of women have asked to be sent a dick pic. Oh, that's slightly that's different. That's slightly different. That is very it's different. different survey to the original. Still quite a lot, though. Oh, you're different. That's still quite a lot, yeah. If a moon rocket isn't the biggest dick pic you can flash around, I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean, it's setting, but it's setting the bar high for the rest of their relationship, isn't it? I mean, Literally. Yeah. Do I want to go and see Fast and Furious 12 and get a, then get a bite to eat at the local tapas bar? <laughs> well, I can objectively see that's not such a bad evening out, but it's not the f***ing moon, is it? Well, I think he's given up on Earth relationships. I think that's what this is. He just feels his chances will improve by being the only man available. I just think he wants to see tits in zero G. <laughs> what a Muppets episode that was. Someone once said, not if you were alone. <laughs> <laughs> that's so terrible. <laughs> Someone once said, not if you were the last man on earth, and he said, I'll take that. <laughs> oh, man, I want to go for this just so that I can go to the moon and say I don't like him. <laughs> I don't think this is going to work out. And then you have the incredibly awkward journey back to earth. Yeah, there's no way you can get separate Ubers back from that. Are there no rules for space travel? Have we not... <laughs> Have we just decided everything is fine? Like, there must be some rules that a billionaire can't just go on a date with someone in a spaceship. Like, there's no rules about this? <laughs> there are no rules. In space, no one can call the HR department. <laughs> in other technology news, uh, researchers in America have uh, assembled cells from frogs into tiny robots that move around... Uh, on their own. Let's be specific. It's African clawed frogs, which yes. makes it sound even more so <laughs> terrifying. These are living. I mean, this is where it begins, isn't it? I mean, today robot frogs, tomorrow robot toads, uh, and then where um, <laughs> you know, robot geckos, and obviously they're going to move across from amphibians to, to, to reptiles, obviously to get together, and then robot ferrets. But eventually, you're going to end up with a giant robot ferret toad frog that can hack your internet. <laughs> clamp your car and vaporise your elderly relatives. I've seen sci-fi films. Yeah. Well, I've seen one sci-fi film about a giant robot <laughs> ferret toad frog. I mean, this shouldn't be the first time I've heard of African clawed frogs when they're being melded yeah. with robots to make half-robot, half-frog beasts well, scuttling around eating mosquitoes and becoming problematically sentient. I mean, if you're going to turn animals into killer robots, which I assume this is what they're talking about, <laughs> I mean, why not choose an animal that doesn't already have claws? I mean, that's... <laughs> and also a justifiable grudge against the kind of Western economic industrial might that was built on centuries of exploitation of Africa. <laughs> I mean, this is really opening the... It's disastrous, isn't it? On the upside, when we have frog smartphone crossbeads, it won't matter when your iPhone jumps into the toilet? <laughs> have none of these scientists actually read science fiction? This is not going to end well. <laughs> like, are there no rules here either? <laughs> like, has no one decided, like, creating new beings is a mistake, especially <laughs> when the Earth is ending... Maybe it's a waste of time to create new things that will die. That's a very old-fashioned view, Horry. I'm just breaking news, actually. The new scientist uh, is rebranding uh, and is changing its title to This Cannot Possibly End Well. <laughs> <laughs> Historically, uh, apparently, roboticists have tended to favour sort of more durable things like metal and plastic for building robots, but also, you know, 
because they last longer and they're harder to break and the very concept of them doesn't make you scream yourself awake at night. Uh, <laughs> but Michael Levin, uh, the director of the Allen Discovery Centre at Tufts University in Metford, Massachusetts, and man presumably wearing a light white lab coat and small round dark goggles like a steampunk anime German science villain, says uh, that these are going to have benefits because when, when they're damaged, if you have make living robots, they can heal their own wounds and um, once their task is done, they will just decompose naturally if Terminators 2 through 6 haven't provided enough of a prophetic warning about the dangers <laughs> of robots that can regenerate on the fly. But the, the one I've, I've been looking into this because it's horrifying and fascinating. One of the most successful of these David Cronenberg body horror frogbot creations <laughs> is a thing that has two stumpy legs and just a, a chest. Right. That's it. Two stumpy legs and a and a chest and another one has a hole in the middle of it that researchers have turned into a pouch so it can sort of shimming around carrying little things in itself and suggesting that this might be a really good prototype for um, injecting small frog bots into the human body to deliver payloads of medicine to specific sources (laughs) (laughs) I mean that I mean just all of it all these stories always sound like scene one from a Absolutely catastrophic film. I mean, this is what Michael Levin has said. He's the leader of this program. He says, these are entirely new life forms. They have never before existed on Earth. They are living, programmable organisms. And then he went on to say, I can see no problems from this arising in the future. Has no one read (laughs) The Island of Dr. Moreau? (laughs) Has no one? Is it everyone's just reading The Time Machine? Like this, we know what's going to happen here. A bad movie remake. <laughs> Alice, your bugle's uh, um, dating agony aunt. Um, yes, indeed. Dating tips for our listeners. Well, I'm always willing to uh, take people listener questions for relationship advice, but here's just some general advice for 2020. Uh, never go to bed angry. Uh, stay awake until you've both said unforgivable things that you can never take back. <laughs> Uh, A strong enough Wi-Fi signal and a Netflix subscription can paper over cracks in a relationship for an indeterminate period of time, assuming you both have similar tastes in binge-watching. You cannot change a man unless you're injecting frog robot cells into his body. (laughs) Well, there we go. There's your advice for 2020. And any relationship tips for our listeners, Harry? No. Yeah, me neither. My 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 only advice is that if, you know if if your relationship's going through a tricky phase, just uh, remember that um, you know we'll all be dead within a hundred years, and um, <laughs> no one will care. Keep a bit of perspective. Sport now, and a sports relationship with uh, with well politics and ethics is uh, always under the microscope. The International Olympic Committee has. Uh, issued um, regulations over uh, protests at the Olympic Games, uh, which take place in Tokyo later this year, basically saying there's no place for politics in the Olympic Games. That is apart from athletes parading around wearing branding from political entities uh, known as countries. (laughs) Countries. A country is a political... And also the entire event being absolutely inundated with uh, sponsorship from global corporations. But apart from that, no politics is... is And also, I think there should be more concern about the competitors body shaming everyone else on the planet who is not in prime <laughs> elite athletic condition. I mean, how about, you know, some ordinary people that we can relate to winning the 200 metres butterfly for one? 
I mean, I'm going to be doing what I do every Olympics, which is sneaking into the Olympic Village and poking holes into all of the condoms that they supply for for free to all Olympic athletes. (laughs) It's my small gesture towards uh, genetic engineering of our species. Judging from the the stories about how many of those condoms are used, that is a... That is a big job. <laughs> that is a. Those are some horny, horny people. I just uh, want to see the beautiful cross, cross, cross. I just want to see the beautiful crossbreed between a gymnast and a basketballer. Right. I, I'd rather. Do they I'd, have basketball in the Olympics? Uh, yes, yes. Oh. they they do. Good. Um, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'm a kind of a, a heavyweight weightlifter, and a. An ice dancer. That, I mean, is that is that biologically yeah. possible? But is just think like, about all of yeah, all of it. Like trying to breed a a giraffe with a terrapin. <laughs> Is it? Um, uh, the ISA said that previous boycotts had, quote, no effect whatsoever. Let's look at the historical evidence uh, of this. 1980, 1984, there were Cold War boycotts. The um, the, uh, the Americans didn't go to Moscow in 1980. 1984, the, most of the Eastern Bloc countries did not go to uh, Los Angeles. The Cold War ended within 10 years. Hugely effective. Yes. 1976, anti-apartheid boycott. The most African countries do not go to the Montreal Games. Apartheid ended just 15 years later. Carlos and Smith. Yeah, You know, Black Power. Jesse Owens. That was hugely political. I mean, if if they're so worried that it's so political, why did they have the Olympic Games in Nazi Germany? <laughs> <laughs> Seem like they could have steered away from Nazi Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you know Beijing in two thousand and eight. Yeah. Uh, right. There is uh, anyway. Interesting uh, Olympic protest fact: every uh, synchronized swimming event is deeply political, but you just can't hear the slogans they're screaming because their heads are underwater. <laughs> that concludes this week's uh, this week's bugle. I hope all your relationship uh, issues have been solved. Um, <laughs> Hari, thanks very much for joining us. Any uh, any shows to alert our listeners to? Yes, uh, January 23rd through the 25th, that's next week, New York City, I'm headlining Carolines on Broadway. Uh, February 19th, I'm performing in Durham, North Carolina at the Motor Co. Music Hall. February 20th, I'm performing in Savannah, Georgia at a venue called Victory North, which, considering the show is in Savannah, Georgia, (laughs) makes me feel very welcome. (laughs) February 21st in Houston, Texas at The Secret Group. And finally, March 6th in Oklahoma City at the Paramount Room. Uh, Buglers, go to all of those gigs. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Uh, And to play you out, a small selection of more lies about our Bugle premium voluntary subscribers. Ronan Mitchell, Rachel Buchelman, Kenneth Leung and Brendan Johnson all formed a collective of Bugle voluntary subscribers to speculate groundlessly on what the great artistic figures of human history would have done if they'd been shit instead of great at what they did, and alive today instead of alive whenever they were actually alive. Ronan has concluded that celebrity composer Ludwig van Beethoven would have run a small business putting on clown discos for school parties. Rachel reckons that novelist Jane Austen might have been a life coach or a golf commentator, Kenneth concludes that philosophy ace Plato would have been an advertising copywriter specialising in yoghurt promotion, and Brendan won the collective's Speculator of the Week award this week for his claim that flesh fan painting superstar Peter Ball Rubens would have worked for a tabloid newspaper writing articles about how female celebrities had put on weight. 
Another group of Bugle voluntary subscribers are all increasingly concerned about the names of elements tagged onto the arse end of the periodic table. They're becoming more and more ridiculous, blasts David Cure. Where will it end? We've already got sea borgium, which I assume is used to make robot attachments for aquatic animals like sharks and swordfish, and that, frankly, is the last thing we need. Paul Showalter adds his personal disparagement towards the element Moscovium. No one even knows what it does, complains Paul, but it's probably spying on us, and moreover, it probably reacts very dangerously with vodka. Very dangerously indeed. Fellow element sceptic Jason Scott Lewis reserves his greatest science scorn for Californium, which he notes is only known about at all because of the Beach Boys song Californium Girls, which covers the Wilson Brothers' curious fetish for women made entirely out of radioactive chemical elements that are not naturally found on Earth. This concern about periodic table elements has frankly been spreading virally amongst Bugle voluntary subscribers. Jeremy Resnick has issues with the element dubnium, which he describes as a useless piece of shit, perhaps a little harshly. Jeremy explains it has only even the most tangential use when scrunched into an artificial compound with sulphur, tellurium and phosphorus to form the dangerously radioactive electronic dance compound dubstep. More positively, Nicholas Campagna, without wishing to denigrate his fellow voluntary subscribers for their negative views of the elements, is a fan of many of the elements on the periodic table. Zinc is a classic, says Nicholas. Terrific little metal and a bloody glorious syllable to say. Zinc. Go on. Give it a go. Zinc. Zinc, zinc. Zinc. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.